So let us pray. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Christ, you've called each of us to follow you. Help us to know our vocation, to embrace it, and to follow you wherever you lead us. And we ask the help of your mother who followed you to the very end of the cross. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Mary, Mother of the Church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm known as Mr. Brown's brother. And that introduction was actually written by Mr. Brown, so if it was a little glowing, that's because he wrote it. Um, so it's good to see so many, and yet it's a little sad to see there's so few of you who don't yet know what you're supposed to do in life. <laughs> Mrs. Flagg is here, still trying to figure out ten children later if she made the right choice or not. Uh, so the, there was a little boy who was not too anxious to go to Mass, and yet his, he would go because his mother would force him to go. So he went to Mass one Sunday with his family, and during the Mass, the priest got up and he was yelling and screaming and hitting the podium, making quite a scene. And so the little boy sat there and watched, and then they got in the car, and we're on the way home. The little boy turned to his mom and says, Mom, he says, you know what, I figured out what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a priest when I grow up. She says, what? You, little pagan Johnny? He says, well, Mommy says, I figured I'd have to go to Mass anyway. It's better to get up there and sit, uh, scream and shout than sit and listen. <laughs> so that's, that's one way to discern your vocation. You go to Mass, and if you like the way Father screams and shouts, then perhaps that's your vocation. So the question is, tonight, I'll make a short presentation, and then if you have questions, don't hesitate to ask. The question is, what is my vocation? And it's perhaps the question that's most concerning for the majority of you, because many of you have come to see me, and the one question that comes up again and again, Father, how do I figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life? I'm madly in love with this girl, and she doesn't even know I exist. I said, well, jump out in front of her. Or tackle her. She'll know you exist. So sometimes we want to know, what is my vocation? Or at least now, especially, and as you become seniors, what am I supposed to do with my life? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? And the like. How do I discern what I'm called to be? So first of all, some preliminary points, and then we'll look at what is vocation, my vocation, and how to discern it. First of all, and this may scandalize you, in some fashion, it doesn't really matter what you're supposed to do. Whether you're a priest, a sister, married, unmarried, uh, husband, wife, the what is not so important. It is important, but it's not as important as how I live what I'm called to live. That is, I may be a priest, but if I'm a priest who doesn't love, then I'm not such a great priest. If I'm a priest who loves much, then I'll be a great priest. If I'm a parent who loves so-so, then I'm a so-so parent. If I'm a parent who loves much, I'm a great parent. So it's the how I live, what I'm called to live, that counts the most. That is, God calls us to live whatever that vocation may be. He calls us to live it with extraordinary love. 
So you're called right now to be a student. And therefore, to live your life as a student with great love. Or if you're infatuated with a girl, then you should live that infatuation with great love. Even if she doesn't know you exist. Remember, tackle her. That's the key. It's the love upon which God will judge us. He doesn't judge us so much, oh, were you a priest, a sister, this or that. Yes, he wants to know, I mean, you will be a, choose a particular state in life, but he will judge us on how we live that particular state. Did you love? Did you love me? Did you love others as a priest, as a sister, as a husband, as a wife, etc.? So the how is first and foremost in importance. Secondly, God has a specific plan for you. And He wants to share that with you. It's not as if God says, I have a plan for you, but I'm not going to tell you. Because I want to make you miserable. I just like to see Him be miserable trying to figure out for the rest of His life what I want Him to do. I like to see Him squirm and get scrupulous and wonder, what am I supposed to do? But no, if God has a plan for you, His desire is for you to discover what that is. So if He wants you to know it, and you're asking, seeking to know what it is, He's going to reveal it to you in due time. Meaning, He wants you to take one step, and then a second step, and then a third step, and then it becomes more and more clear. So thirdly, sometimes we say, well, what am I supposed to do, Father? I said, well, it's not exactly clear right now, but maybe God, all God is asking you to do is go through the first door. Once you get through the first door, then you see a second door, and you say, oh, well, now I see this door. And you go through that door, and then a third door. That is, God progressively shows us what He wants. It's not all at once that He's going to say this. Because sometimes, if we were to see what we're to be or what we're to do, all at once, we probably would run the other way. Like, I don't want to be a priest, and yet God wants you to be a priest. And if He showed that to you, it's run the other way. But instead, you know, you fall in love with the girl, you get engaged, she breaks up the engagement, so you, that's the first door. And then, after breaking up, then you say, gosh, what am I going to do with my life? And then you start drinking water, lots of water. <laughs> Eventually, you go through the second door, you work for a while, and then you eventually say, gosh, you meet somebody at work who's going to enter the seminary. And then slowly, door by door, God progressively reveals His will. That is, He doesn't necessarily show you exactly what it is from the beginning. Sometimes yes, but many times not. That's the third point. Fourth point, and the reason is because He knows perhaps we're not yet ready to embrace what He wants us to eventually do. I know personally, it took me a while. I was a slow discerner. If I had become a... Or I knew I was to be a priest, but if I had become a priest sooner than I did, I'm not sure I would have actually persevered toward priesthood or to ordination. But in God's good time, it happened. Third, fourthly, nothing is wasted. That is, should you discern... To go to the seminary, you go to the seminary, three years later, you leave, and you get married. Gosh, I made a mistake. No, not necessarily. Perhaps God indeed was leading you to the seminary in order to be there three years, in order that you would be a better husband to the wife you eventually marry. Because you were a jerk before, the seminary straightened you out, 
and then you met that wonderful lady who said, wow, what a holy man. She doesn't know that the seminary is what straightened you out. So perhaps God wanted you to have that seminary experience in order to grow up, become more mature, more responsible, and become the husband you were called to be. Or perhaps you date a young man, you get engaged, you're standing at the altar, and suddenly you get nervous and you run out the back door across the street to the Contemplative Carmelite Monastery. <laughs> or perhaps God led you to, to the altar just before you're about to say yes, you run out the door, go to Carmel, you're happy there the rest of your life, but it's because of that friendship you had with that boy, that love you had for him, that then you're able to love even more as a Carmelite nun. So it's never wasted. I did a marriage once, and the bridegroom was there, all the groomsmen, the bridesmaids, etc., the priest was there. I was vested, we went to the back of the church, and we were ready to process in. No bride. I said, where's the bride? We don't know. And so we paced back and forth, we called her, etc. We waited two hours before she ever showed up. For two hours I was standing there vested, waiting, we were praying the rosary. She was having second thoughts, but she went through with it, and today they have six children. She was not sure, but she, she finally made that choice, and she entered into that marriage. And so, my vocation, what is it, and how do I discern it? Well, first and foremost, your vocation is to see God. More than anything else, God is calling you to eternal life, to see Him, to contemplate Him in the beatific vision forever. So more than being priest, sister, married, unmarried, whatever, your vocation is to see God. Meaning your desire should be, I want to see God. I hope every morning you wake up and say, I want to see God. And how do you see God? How will you ever see God? You have to die. So when you wake up, I hope I die today. <laughs> Every day I hope you wake up praying that God will take you today. Because I want to see God. I'm made to see God and it's only when I see God that I'll be perfectly happy. So every day pray for your good death. And if your roommate doesn't kill you by the evening, then pray the next day. <laughs> Lord, maybe today she'll kill me. But our vocation is to see God. And our deepest desire should be, I want to see God because I was made to see God. My vocation is to see God. St. Teresa of Adla used to say, I want to see God. And that was her, you might say, her overriding desire. And even as a little girl, the story is she once ran away with her brother outside the walls of Avila into the desert. And her uncle eventually found her her and her, she and her brother in the desert and he said what are you doing here it was the time the Muslims were still present what are you doing here you could have been killed and little Teresa of Avila said but you said I must die to see God and I want to see God so our vocation is to see God and it's therefore to be a saint and a saint is a friend of God a friend of Christ our vocation is simply to be a friend of Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be a saint. Every one of us has the same vocation, and that's to be a saint, to see God, to be a friend of Christ. So whether you are a priest, sister, whatever, in a sense, it doesn't really matter. 
If you're a garbage man, that's okay. As long as you die a holy garbage man. Wow, that's the most saintly garbage man and garbage woman I've ever met. Do you notice how she picks up that garbage with such love and tenderness? And she sets it into the garbage truck with such love. She does all the smallest little things with extraordinary love. She picks up that horrible, smelly trash with her own hands and places it in the garbage truck with such love. It doesn't, again, matter so much what we do, but how we do it. So if my vocation is to be a saint, it means to be a saint wherever God plants me. To do that, to live that vocation, that state in life that he calls me to, with love. The rich young man, for example, came up to Christ and he asked, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. He says, I'm already doing that. I'm already a good, good boy. And it says, Jesus looked at him with love and called him to a deeper, more intimate communion with himself. And he says, go sell what you have and then come follow me. What happened? Well, the one translation says, and his face fell. Have you ever seen a face fall? The New American Translation, his face fell. That is, it says he went away sad because why? He had many possessions. That is, he was faced with the good of keeping the commandments, which he was already doing, and the good of becoming a deeper friend of Jesus. He had two good choices. That is, in a sense, himself or Christ. Well, and he said he could not make that choice of following Christ more deeply and because he had many possessions and therefore he chose himself. When we are called to follow Christ, it's called, we're called to this deeper, deeper friendship. So it's the universal vocation of every human being to be a saint, to see God. Whether, again, we're priest, sister, unmarried, religious, whatever. But likely, rich young man, we're left free to choose or not to choose. The woman, the sinful woman who came and poured the expensive aromatic nard on Jesus' feet, she gave everything. Judas was scandalized because what she poured was worth a year's wage. She didn't hold back. That was the fruit of her night, night business. She took and she poured it all on Christ because she chose Christ. Whereas the rich young man could not choose Christ and he walked away sad. So Jesus presents his friendship to us, our common vocation, and yet he leaves us free. Do I choose to follow him or not? Now within this universal common vocation of holiness, of the beatific vision, God calls us to a particular state of life. So we're all called to the same vocation, the beatific vision, but then some are called to be priests, sisters, and the like. And yet, even that vocation, that state of life, can change with time. For example, I could start out as a seminarian and discern, no, it's not for me, and then I go get married, my wife dies, and I go back to the seminary and become a priest. That happens sometimes. He's in the seminary, gets married, murders his wife, goes back to the seminary, becomes a priest. That doesn't happen. So our state in life can change. It depends. We'll come back to it. For example, if I decide to date a girl, a guy, more seriously, 
normally it's in view of marriage. If I pair up with somebody, it's not just for the fun of it. You know, I want to date just you for the fun of it, but I don't want to marry you. Normally, when you begin to date one person exclusively, it's because it could possibly be marriage, and so we're going to see. The same with religious life. I begin to visit different communities, different dioceses, to see could it possibly be religious life or the priesthood, diocesan priesthood. But I won't know if it's marriage unless I date a particular person. I can theoretically think it's marriage, but if I'm too shy to ever ask a girl out, then I'm going to be theoretically thinking about marriage when I'm 95. Wow. There's this old lady in the next room beside me in the nursing home. I wonder if she'll date me. She's a little old for me, though, because she's 102. That is, you have to take certain steps towards seeing if that vocation is really for you or not, that state of life. Some people say, well, I would think I'd like to be a priest or a religious. Well, have you ever visited any place? No, Father. But do you want to? No, Father. But do you want to be a priest or religious? Yes, Father. Do you want to visit someplace? No, Father. So we have to take steps toward seeing, could it be this particular state? And I will only know for sure if I actually visit and then I actually join a community, join a diocese, date a girl, propose to her, propose to the guy, or vice versa. <laughs> that is, I have to jump into the water. If I'm always standing on the side of the seashore looking at the water, I say, wow, beautiful water. But I never, ever jump in the water, then I'll never know if it's good water, warm water, nice water to swim in. I just constantly am looking at the water. You have people who are perpetual discerners. They're still discerning at 85, 86. I think I might like to be a priest. But you're a little old. Well, I'm, you know, I'm still discerning. <coughs> that is, eventually we have to take a jump. We have to jump. But it's true. So often we're afraid. Am I making the right choice? And so we hold back. Or we constantly discern. One thing is to be a perpetual discerner. The other is to, I would say, to live a certain ongoing discernment, which we'll speak about in a second. So what gives us stability and freedom and, and a, a certain peace and rest is finally to choose, to eliminate all the other possibilities. If you think, gosh, I would love to get married, and you're in love with a thousand different ladies. Well, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to rest until you say, okay, the 999 over here, this one, come to me. You have to choose one. If you don't choose, then there's always going to be a certain instability. Just like you can perpetually discern religious life, but if you don't make a choice, no rest, no stability. So it's the choice that gives us strength. That is, to never choose is a choice that enslaves us to indecision. I'm a perpetual, indecisive person. I just can't make a decision. There are people I know who just, they're frozen. They just can't make a decision about their state in life. They can make a decision about what job they're going to take, about what, where they're going to go on vacation, but when it comes to choosing their state in life, they just keep freezing. There's one brother who's in our community. He's been a novice, so to speak, for eight years. Sort of. 
That is, he just can't make up his mind if he's going to be make profession or not. So we've said, you know, try this, try this, try this. Nothing seems to give him the ability to be able to make a choice. He's just stuck. And later, sometimes there will be temptations. Once we've made our choice, we've chosen that one girl out of two billion other girls. There's going to be a temptation. Why did I marry her? Ah, I made a mistake. Or you enter the religious community. Why did I enter here? There's going to be plenty of, you might say, temptations or questions that will come up later. Why did I do this? Well, what gives us strength to fight amidst the temptations is to go back to the choice. I chose to marry her. I chose to enter this community. I'm a priest now. I've chosen to be a priest. Even if there's many temptations that might come to shake our choice, the choice is our strength. So how do we go about discerning? Well, first of all, as I said, we must keep in mind, in the forefront of our mind, my vocation is to see God. My vocation is to love. St. Therese was trying to figure out all these desires she had in her heart. She said she wanted to be a uh, doctor, a priest. She was the first one who wanted to be a woman priest. She wanted to be a missionary, etc. She said God gave her all these great desires, but she said they couldn't all be fulfilled. And she finally found what would fulfill all these desires, and she said, I discovered my vocation is to be love. So I said our vocation is to see God, but it's also to be love. Now and later, to love God now, to love God later, to love my neighbor now, later. That is to be love in the heart of the church. So when we discern, we we must always keep the end in mind. The end is to see God. In the meantime, yes, there's different means God proposes, and I will choose to reach that end. But those are just means. Marriage, priesthood, and the like. So that is, I don't get caught up on the means so much, but always remember the end. Yes, God has certain means He wants me to choose, but remembering the end, first and foremost. So in the discernment process, what must I do? Well, one, panic. (laughs) Shed a few tears, and then do whatever you wish. St. Augustine says, love and do whatever you want. So there you go, that's it. Meaning, if you love in truth, you'll want to do what God wants you to do. So what do we do? First of all, I would say to have a regular prayer life. If we have this regular communion with God, we're opening ourselves to His light and to His love, to His guidance. If we never pray or pray rarely, it's going to be hard to know what is God wanting me to do. I need to ask the one who's calling me to live a certain life. If I don't ask him, how will I ever discern? So a regular prayer life. And one of the best prayers to pray is, Lord, give me the grace to want what you want for me. I want what you want. So if you pray, Lord, give me the grace to want what you want for me, then you always want what he wants. And what he wants is best. That is, God's not a tyrant who says, do my will, do my will, otherwise you will be miserable. Obey me, otherwise go to downstairs. No, God's not a tyrant who expects us to bow at his every wish, but rather he knows that only by doing what he wants is what is best for us and what will lead us to the, best hap- the greatest happiness, because it's the truth. 
So to pray, Lord, give me the desire, the grace to want what you want. So if you're trying to figure out your vocation, start by that prayer. Lord, help me to want what you want for me. Because what you want is best. And some have said, in his will is our peace. When I conform my will to God's will, there's deep peace because it's the truth. That's why when you are discerning and if you're striving to know and to do God's will, then be at peace. Banish all anxiety, fear, scruples, etc. And just say, Lord, I trust you. You want what's best for me. I want what you want. Therefore, imagination, shut up. Anxieties be gone. Fears leave. Because so many young people get anxious and troubled and fearful and scrupulous about what am I supposed to do? Why? Because they're looking too much at themselves, perhaps. Secondly, they're not trusting enough that God wants the best for them, and He'll show them. Or we get very impatient. Lord, show me what you want me to do today. And the Lord says, shh, be quiet. You're not yet ready. You're a little slow. You're a little dumb. I'll show you later. Once you've matured a bit, then I'll show you the good things I've prepared for you. So He knows, as a good father, what's best. And we just need to humbly enter into that, that intention, that desire of His, with great peace and trust, and He'll slowly, slowly show us. Secondly, in discerning, know thyself. That is, to do a certain examination, what are the deepest desires in my heart? What is God? What has God put in my heart? St. Therese said, if God places great desires or certain desires in our heart that are truly from Him, if He's placed them there, He'll bring them to fruition in His own time. So if you want to be a saint, I want to be a saint. Well, that's a good desire, most probably from God, and God will see to it that you become a saint. So to think, look at what's deepest. Do I, do I have this desire to be a priest? No, never. God forbid. Okay, you're probably not called to the priesthood. Do you want to marry? Get married? Yes. Well, that's natural. So that's to have the desire to marry is natural for all. But then we might ask: Am I? Do I think I could be a priest or religious? If not, if I don't see it, then most probably God's calling me to marriage, perhaps. Thirdly, in a great help is spiritual direction, because. When we try to discern on our own, try to lead ourselves, most of the time we're going to fall into the pit. We need a guide to show us the way. St. Bernard says, the one who tries to lead himself, excuse the phrase, it's St. Bernard, he says, the one who tries to lead himself has an ass leading him. Meaning a donkey, a dumb animal. Because we cannot easily understand ourselves or know exactly what is of God or what is of me or what is of the devil. We need a third party or the priest, second party, whatever, to help us to objectivize things, to discern, is this just my imagination? Is this from God? Or is this from some other source? And so it's so important to seek help. And maybe God, in His infinite wisdom, wants us only to know what He wants us to do by humbly asking another. Because perhaps He wants us to humble ourselves and slowly discover that through another. Also, when we're discerning with a spiritual director, we can eliminate all the options that aren't viable options. For example, if you're married and you fall in love with another married person, well, most probably you, don't, you can't choose that. 
Or you say, gosh, I feel a deep, deep, deep vocation to be a mafia kingpin. <laughs> I have this deep desire to knock people off. Well, probably that's not from God. Most probably. Or I have this great desire to be a drug pusher. Because I know there's lots of money in it, which then I'll be able to give to the poor people on the streets. I'll be a modern-day Robin Hood. Or, you know, I'm a parish priest, and I suddenly had this deep call. I know it's God calling me to leave the priesthood and marry the parish secretary. Well, as soon as those types of vocations are presented to us, we can say those are not viable options. And yet, it seems silly, so commonsensical, but there's many people who get confused in their vocation or their state in life because some other possibility comes up and they aren't strong enough or their choice is shaky because they're suffering some trial and they easily leave the priesthood for the parish secretary. Or they fall in love with somebody else who's married and they leave their spouse for this other person. So that's where we have to be strong enough in the choice to realize once I've chosen this particular state, these other options are not possible. Also with the spiritual director, to weigh the pros and cons. Okay, I can see myself getting married with this particular guy. There's lots of pros here, but he also has lots of cons. I see lots of negative things in him. Or I see lots of good things about marriage, lots of difficulties in marriage. I see lots of good things in priesthood, etc. To weigh the pros and cons, and for me personally, what could I, how could I perhaps live the priesthood? How would it be difficult for me? Further, is, as I said before, we have to take steps towards seeing if this particular state is what God's asking. If I think I'm called to marriage and I never date, then how will I know if I'm going to, if I'm called to marriage? So I have to take the risk of asking a girl out. And she may just start laughing. Because she's so happy that you asked her. But she thought she was you know, ridiculing you. You take the risk, because when we love, whether it's you know, with another person, or with God in a certain sense, there's a risk that perhaps the other one will receive my love, or perhaps the other one will, will reject my love, or perhaps receive it, then later betray it. So there's always a risk involved. And that's why some people are hesitant to jump in the water, because there's risk. They don't want to get hurt, or they've already been hurt. God is always faithful, but we're not necessarily always faithful to Him. But even if we take that risk in following God in the priesthood of religious life, there's that risk that God will ask something more and more of me. He'll say, here, I love you so much, a heavy cross. And here's another one. Am I willing to take those risks in order to discover what it is He's calling me to do? So therefore, date. Visit communities. Visit a diocese to see. And then the hardest step of all is the actual choice. After you visited, after you dated, then you have to finally make a choice. Is it this girl or no? This guy or no? Is it this seminary or this religious community or no? I have to make a choice. If I never make the choice, I've gotten up to a point and then I'm just stuck. I become a perpetual discerner. And as a result, there's a deep sadness, you might say, because there's still something that's not settled in, my, in me. Then once I choose... I have to follow through with the choice. That is, carry it out. Execution. So I dated, I've chosen her as my beloved, and then finally I have to propose to her. 
there's that risk. She may say yes. She may say, what? Drop dead. <laughs> it's, a, it's a risk. She may laugh at you. You don't know. So, But you take that risk, you ask, and then you, marriage day, wedding day. The same with the young man who enters a religious life priesthood. He makes a choice, he enters, and then he perseveres to ordination, profession. And then once that choice is made and you've taken those steps forward, then it's a question of persevering to the end. Because there will be many, many, many temptations to take the choice back. Ah, oh, why did I do this? There's many priests who leave the priesthood, many people who run off with somebody else or leave their spouse. Because perhaps the choice wasn't strong enough or the temptation was too great and they, they, were, they caved into the temptation and they took their choice back, you might say. So to fight the good fight to the end. And then lastly, as I said, when we're discerning, there might, throughout our life, there's a certain ongoing discernment. Okay, I may enter the seminary and then I've discerned to enter. Then, three, four years later, I discern it's not for me. Or I discern... Marriage, I marry, my wife dies, and then I discern priesthood. Or together, you know, we get married, and together we discern she's going to the convent, I'm going to the seminary. That happens. One day your spouse will say, dear, I'm going to the convent, you go to the seminary, see you in heaven. That is, God may call us to a particular state in life, but then He gives us further lights as time goes on. That state of life can either change or He asks us to live it in a different way. Just because we make the decision once and for all doesn't mean it can't change. It doesn't go, He doesn't ask us to take back the priesthood, for example, but He may ask us to leave the diocesan priesthood and enter a religious community as a priest. But as I said, through it all, we keep in before our eyes, the end toward which God is calling us, which is the beatific vision. Whatever, wherever He asked me to serve Him, He's calling me most especially to see Him one day. And so that should be my deepest longing and desire is to see God. And therefore, I hope I die tomorrow. How many of you are ready to die tomorrow? One, okay. Alright. He just got out of the confessional box, so he's ready to go. That is, if we really have this deep desire to see God, we're ready to go home at any minute. Am I really living this friendship with Christ such that I'm ready to die to go to heaven at any time? And so whatever state of life God calls you to, keep in mind, most especially, one day I hope to see God. As a priest, as a sister, as a religious, as a married person. So become saints. That's your vocation. As all the different possible states in the different states of life, but to become a saint and to die a saint. To live as a saint, to die as a saint, to be a saint in heaven forever. Okay, good enough. Now you know what you're supposed to do? Any questions? How many want to be priest? Put your, put your hands down, young lady. No. <laughs> Any questions about anything? Otherwise, I have some propaganda <laughs> about our community. Not that I'm trying to be one of us. 
But just some of you want to know who we are, etc. So I'll leave it on the table if you want to take any. Feel free. Good enough. You know what you're supposed to do in life? Yes? Um, when you're in college, how do you discern if you have a religious vocation? I, I mean, um, if no girl wants to go out with you, <laughs> then usually that's a clear, pretty clear sign that you're called to be a priest. You ask, you know, ten. Usually you have to ask at least ten. And if it's ten times no, that's usually a sign. No, go ahead, sorry. I mean, there's really not a lot of time to visit communities while um, you're busy with studies and such. I suppose you can do it over the summer or over break. Yeah, because your first vocation between quotes that God is asking of you now is to be a student. As long as you're here. But during that time, you might be discerning, yes, it, I think it could be priesthood, religious life, but then you just have to find the moments to be able to visit communities to see realistically, is it this particular community? That could be over break, spring, summer, time, whatever. Or sometimes it's only more clear after graduation. Sometimes it might be good, in some ways, for some, for some it's better, they go directly from Christendom to whatever state of life that may be. For others, they need a transition period of a year, two years, because... You're kind of in an ivory tower here, and so when you get out into the real world, you said, <gasps> there's, you know, the certain panic. Your heart beats fast for a couple years until you get used to what's out there. Then you can make a better choice. Sometimes it's pretty clear while you're here what God is asking. Yes, Thomas. Father, how do you know whether or not um, in the present moment you are loving God as you are? Uh, any other questions? <laughs> how do you know? Well, because you, you, when you make an act of love, you say, I love you. You're loving God. The degree of our love is hidden from us. God doesn't show us Oh, your, the temperature of your love when you walked in, Thomas, was only 33 degrees, but now that you've heard Father Joseph Mary speak, it's gone down to 25. <laughs> we can't measure charity because it's a, it's a mystery. It's, a, it's an invisible gift God infuses into us, so we can't measure the intensity of our charity. But St. Thomas says there's enough signs to indicate that I do have charity, that I love with ease, that I can do good acts toward others, etc., so the fact that we have these signs that indicate most probably I have this gift of charity within me, then yes, I can say I love God. Or you know, in the sense that I, I say I love you, Lord. That's, I guess, a sign enough that you love him. The degree, we don't know. The intensity, we don't know. And he hides it from us because if we were to see it, we'd start comparing. Oh, gosh, look at her. I, my, well, my love's much bigger than hers. <laughs> and there's a danger to uh, spiritual pride. Or just spiritual discouragement. Gosh, look at her. Her temperature is 95. Mine's down to 22. So, God hides it from us. To keep us humble and also so that we don't look at ourselves, but look at Him. Good enough, Thomas? No! What? Who's speaking? Stand up, please. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you said that when you, you eventually have to come to a choice. Yes. Um, eventually. How do you know when that eventually is? <laughs> uh, 
uh, eventually, because I would say it becomes more and more clear as time goes on, you discern that, okay, I'm getting closer and closer. At one point, you just have to make the choice. I mean, you don't make it if it's still kind of fuzzy. Normally, you have to wait to get the... So it's a little more clear, but it's never going to be crystal clear. This is it. It's only by saying, I think it's probably, most probably, religious life. Well, I won't know for sure until I actually join a community and start to live the life. And it becomes even more clear. Yes, now it's even more clear that it's this. Or it may become more clear it's not this. So we don't know until we actually take that concrete step forward, but we have to make the choice to at least want to take those steps forward by joining a community, again, dating a person. How would you know if eventually it's he's the one? Well, because nobody else will marry you. But how do you know he's the one? Because you've dated long enough, and at one point it seems pretty sure, and then you're just waiting for him to eventually propose. And if he doesn't, then you sock him. But you have a pretty good sense when the moment is going to come. how serious it is. Yeah, I think we could, perhaps, if we're not really seeking God's will well enough, we could make a mistake, for sure. And be in a miserable marriage, for example, and maybe God wasn't asking us to marry, or to marry at least this person. Uh, but God makes good with, with, you know, as we say, with our straight, crooked lines, right straight with our crooked lines. Uh, how serious is it? If I've done it intentionally, turned away from, intentionally, knowingly, refuse God's will or turn away from it and say, you know, I know God's calling me the priesthood, but I don't care. I'm going to get married. There, it's like the rich young man who knew he was being called by Christ to a deeper friendship and he walked knowingly away from Christ. There, was he saved or not? We don't know. He may repent it later. And it, I mean, it would be serious if I knowingly, consciously turned away from something that seems quite probable to be God's will for me. Doesn't mean I'm going to lose my soul necessarily, but it's going to be harder path to walk. Yeah. How do you begin the sermon if, like, you have no idea, like, whether it's spiritual or it's uh, Well, marriage is natural. I mean, most everybody has this, I mean, everybody has this natural inclination to marriage. Not everybody says they want to get married necessarily, but the way God made us is there's that natural inclination. And if there's no desire for the priesthood in religious life then probably he might be calling me the marriage and so I have to date to see if it's even marriage maybe he's calling me to live a celibate life in the world if I had a strong inclination to marriage and yet also say well it could be priesthood I always encourage young people first you know investigate the priesthood of religious life because if it's not what God is asking then certainly there's always going to be that natural desire for marriage if you just investigate priesthood of religious life and you say wow this, this more and more I understand it's this then you've you know discovered that it was that rather than marriage. So I wouldn't say take the higher road first and then go for the, you know, the losers, the loser road, the marriage. Some people make the mistake of committing the sacrament of marriage, you know. Uh, but no, I would say if we, we can see ourselves going both ways, investigate first the religious license. It's the more extraordinary way, you might say. It's called the, the way of the, the councils, the way of perfection. Dating someone and it just doesn't seem right, how do you tell if it's the person or the vocation that's not right for 
Uh, first, I would say you, you might you have to discern if it's the person. Because if you discern it's the person, then you break up with them, and then you know you may date somebody else, and that one works, and then you realize it is marriage. <laughs> or if you keep dating and this isn't working, maybe God might be trying to tell you, you know, look into religious life. Or he may be calling you to live a single life in the world, or consecrated virgin, or secular institute. So I would say, just because it doesn't work with one person, doesn't mean necessarily that I'm not called to marriage. Um, Some people kind of just fall into their vocations. People will tell us. I wanted so much to get married, it just never happened. And so they find themselves single at 65. It's not as if they consciously chose to remain single, it just kind of happened that way. For some, they actually consciously choose to remain single. Um, Some will say single life is not a vocation in the strict sense. It's just, you know, it's marriage, religious life. Or some will even say technically, theologically, the only vocation is priesthood, religious life. Marriage is natural. Single is, in a sense, is natural. Uh, but looking at it from God's perspective, I would say God has a specific vocation, a call for each one. So He may indeed call some specifically to remain single in the world. Some of the saints, canonized saints, were single persons in the world. Uh, it, it, it could be you might discern it's the single life because I could see myself married, but at the same time, I'm, or rather, I'm drawn to marriage, but I just don't see myself marrying any particular person. I've dated, and it just doesn't interest me. They're boring. All the guys are boring. Um, or I tried religious life, and it just it became clear it wasn't that either. So then you say, well, I consciously choose to remain single in the world. But there, there's a more and more young ladies throughout the United States who are making the steps of consecrated virginity. They live in the world, make that consecration in the hands of the bishop, and it's something that's being... Uh, promote it more and more as another form of state of life. Um, you just mentioned the consecrated virginity, and there's not necessarily like an ownership for that. And so you were saying like make it sort of corner seminary or And so there is sort of there is a testing. They can't just say I want to be a consecrated virgin the next day. They make that consecration. Usually, there's like a two to three year preparation process. They somehow work it out with the bishop. But there's also an association of consecrated virgins, and I think they have some sort of guidelines. I don't know much about it. It's it's quite new in in the church. Anything else? Okay. So, I hope you... Yes, yes, yes. The one who wants to go to heaven. If it's strong enough, not just, you know, oh, I think I could possibly be a religious, but rather it's, you know, strong enough that I can see myself certainly going that way, but also maybe also, also marriage, but the inclination to religious life is strong enough that it's worth investigating. Okay. Not just, oh, I'm kind of admired religious life, it's kind of interesting. But usually that, just by visiting places, if it's not that a strong attraction, it'll disappear after visiting. You say, gosh, nice, but I couldn't live this life. Go ahead, I'm sorry. So, define strong enough. Strong enough? 
uh, in the sense that it's something that remains with me. It's not just a passing fancy. Uh, I visit some places, and it's, you know, yeah, I could see myself. I'm not sure yet, but yes, I could still see myself being religious. Meaning it's something there that's that's strong enough that demands a certain attention, and it's not just a passing thing that's there two months and then it's gone. Sometimes like, you could have an infatuation, infatuation with a girl that's not strong enough necessarily to marry her, because it comes and goes. You can have an infatuation with religious life, but that's not strong enough to pursue does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. <coughs> Nothing else? Okay. So, hopefully we'll all see each other in heaven one day. We're all called to be. God willing. And hopefully we'll be ready when we go. At least one person's ready in the room. Let's pray. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. We ask you, Lord, to help us to truly live this vocation to be saints, to be love in the heart of the church like St. Therese. And by this, one day, to behold you face to face, to contemplate you and love you for all eternity in heaven, as does the Virgin Mary and all the saints and angels. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, as now, and ever shall be. For all those who have my brother for class, please make it really difficult for him. He doesn't, he doesn't suffer enough.